matter. It was only a little while longer until he undid the damage, but believing that tale required an increasing effort. Now, with unknown fingers wrapped around his arm, Miguel turned and saw a neatly dressed Dutchman of the middling ranks, hardly more than twenty years of age. He was a muscular, wide-shouldered fellow with blonde hair and a face almost more pretty than handsome, though his drooping moustache added a masculine flair. Hendrik, no family name that anyone had ever heard. Hertrud Damhaus's fellow. Greetings, Jewman, he said, still holding on to Miguel's arm. I hope all goes well for you this afternoon. Things always go well with me, Miguel answered, as he twisted his neck to see if any prattling troublemaker might lurk behind him. The Mahamad, the ruling council among the Portuguese Jews, forbade Congress between Jews and inappropriate Gentiles, and while this designation could prove treacherously ambiguous, no one could mistake Hendrik in his yellow jerkin and red breeches for anything appropriate. Madame Damhaus sent me to fetch you, Hendrik said. Hertrad had played at this before. She knew Miguel could not risk being seen on so public a street as the Warmostrat with a Dutch woman, particularly a Dutch woman with whom he did business, so she sent her man instead. There was no less risk to Miguel's reputation, but this way she could force his hand without even showing her face. "'Tell her I haven't the time for so lovely a diversion,' he said. "'Not just now.' "'Of course you do,' Hendrik grinned widely. "'What man can say no to Madame Damhaus?' "'Not Miguel. At least not easily.' He had difficulty saying no to Gertrude or to anyone else, including himself, who proposed something amusing. Miguel had no stomach for doom. Disaster felt to him like an awkward and loose suit. He had to force himself each day to play the cautious role of a man in the throes of ruin. That, he knew, was his true curse, the curse of all former conversos. In Portugal he had grown too used to falseness, pretending to worship as a Catholic, pretending to despise Jews and respect the Inquisition. He had thought nothing of being one thing while making the world believe he was another. Deception, even self-deception, came far too easily. Thank your mistress, but give her my regrets. With reckoning day soon upon him and new debts to burden him, he would have to curb his diversions, at least for a while. And there had been another note this morning, a strange, anonymous scrawl on a torn piece of paper. I want my money. It was one of a half-dozen or so Miguel had received in the last month. I want my money. Hendrik gazed at Miguel with the special pity men of the middle rank reserved for their superiors. Madame Damhaus told me to inform you that she will show you something— and when you set your eyes on it, you will forever after divide your life into the time before this afternoon and the time after. The thought of her disrobing flashed before him. That would be a lovely divide between the past and the future, and would certainly be worth setting aside his business for the afternoon. However, Hertrad loved to play at these games. There was little chance she meant to take off as much as her cap. But there was no getting rid of Hendrik, and urgent as his troubles might be, Miguel could make no deals with this Dutchman lurking in his shadow. Best to have this over with, he decided, so he sighed 
and said he would go. With a sharp gesture of his neck, Hendrik led them off the ancient cobbled street and along the waters of the Rosenkracht, where the new houses of the newly wealthy stood on either side of the murky water. Miguel had once rented the better part of so fine a house, red brick and steeple gabled, but then Brazilian production of sugar had far exceeded Miguel's expectations, and in an instant prices collapsed. A great man of the exchange as instantly became a debtor, living off his brother's scraps. Once they departed from the main street, the area lost its charm. The neighborhood was new. Where they stood had been farmland only thirty years before, but already the alleyways had taken on the decrepit cast of a slum. To what sort of place are you taking me? Miguel asked, hoping to find a reason to excuse himself. A miserable sort of place, Hendrik said. Miguel opened his mouth to voice an objection, but it was too late. They had arrived. Though he was not, like the Dutch, inclined to believe in omens, Miguel would later recall that his venture had begun in a place called the Golden Calf, surely an unpromising name. They climbed down a steep and viciously low-ceilinged stairwell to the cellar, a little room that might comfortably have held thirty souls, but now contained perhaps fifty. Across the tavern, Miguel saw Gertrade sitting at the bar, pretty as a tulip in a dung heap. When Miguel stepped forward, she turned to him and smiled, wide and bright and irresistible. He could not help but return the smile, feeling like a fool boy, which was how she regularly made him feel. Perhaps it was because Miguel had never spent so much time with a woman to whom he was unrelated without bedding her. Madam, I am honored you wish to see me, but I am afraid I haven't time for these diversions just now. Reckoning day approaches, she said sympathetically. It approaches, and I have a great deal to put in order. He thought to tell her more, but after six months of brutal, relentless, numbing indebtedness, Miguel had learned a thing or two about how to live as a debtor. The first rules were that a man must never act like a debtor, and he must never announce his troubles to anyone who did not need to know them. Come, sit next to me for a moment, he said. He thought to say no. He preferred to stand, but sitting next to her was much more delicious than standing nearby, so he felt himself nodding before he'd realized he'd made a decision. It was not that Gertrude was more beautiful than other women, though she certainly had some beauty about her. At first glance, she seemed nothing unusual, a prosperous widow of her middle thirties, regally tall, still quite pretty. I can only spare a few minutes, he told her. I think you'll give me more time than that. She leaned forward and kissed him, just above the border of his fashionably short beard. The first time she had kissed him they had been in a tavern, and Miguel, who had never before had a woman for a friend, let alone a Dutch woman, thought himself obligated to take her to one of the back rooms and lift her skirts. It would not have been the first time a Dutch woman had made her intentions known to Miguel. Hertrad, however, never wanted anything more than to press her lips against his beard. She had long since made it clear that she had no interest at all in having her skirts lifted, at least not by Miguel. These Dutch women kissed anyone they liked for any reason they liked, and they did so more boldly than the Jewish women of the Portuguese nation dared to kiss their husbands. You see, she told him, as she gestured to the crowd, even though you've been in this city for years, I still have new sights to show you. 
I fear your stock of the new may be running thin. At least you needn't worry about that Hebrew council of yours seeing us in this place. Hertard slid her hand along Miguel's, a gesture that came just short of the amorous. She loved freedom with men above all else. Her husband, whom she spoke of as the cruelest of villains, had been dead some years now, and she'd not yet finished celebrating her liberty. That sack of fat behind the bar is my cousin Crispane, she said. Miguel glanced at the man, pale, corpulent, heavy-lidded, no different from ten thousand others in the city. Thank you for letting me witness your bloated kinsman. I hope I may at least ask him to bring me a tankard of his least foul beer to drown the stench. No beer. I have something else in mind today. She waved over to her cousin, who replied with a solemn nod, and then disappeared into the kitchen. I want you to taste a new drink, a wondrous luxury. She leaned in closer and looked him full in his face. I didn't bring you here idly, and you will find that I offer you nothing ordinary, she told him, her lips close enough to his face that he could taste her fine breath. And then her cousin, Crispane, brought out something that changed his life. Two earthen bowls sat steaming with a liquid blacker than the wines of Kaor. In the dim light, Miguel gripped the lightly chipped vessel with both hands and took his first taste. It had a rich, almost enchanting bitterness, something Miguel had never before experienced. It bore a resemblance to chocolate, which once he had tasted years ago, but this one had a less voluptuous flavor, sharper and more sparing. It's made of coffee fruit, Hertard told him, folding her arms as though she had invented the mixture herself. Miguel had come across coffee once or twice, but only as a commodity traded by East India merchants. The business of the exchange did not require a man to know an item's nature, only its demand, and sometimes, in the heat of the trade, not even that. He reminded himself to say the blessing over wonders of nature. Some Jews would turn away from their Gentile friends when they blessed their food or drink, but Miguel took pleasure in the prayers. He loved to utter them in public, and in a land where he could not be prosecuted for speaking the holy tongue. It's a new substance, entirely new, Hertrad explained when he was done. You take it not to delight the senses, but to awaken the intellect. Its advocates drink it at breakfast to regain their senses, and they drink it at night to help them remain awake longer. Hetrad's face became as somber as one of the Calvinist preachers who railed from makeshift pulpits in town plazas. This coffee isn't like wine or beer, which we drink to make merry or because it quenches thirst. Coffee is something, something far more important. This is what I think, she went on. Beer and wine may make a man sleepy, but coffee will make him awake and clear-headed. Beer and wine may make a man amorous, but coffee will make him lose interest in the flesh. The man who drinks coffee fruit cares only for his business. She paused for another sip. Coffee is the drink of commerce. How many times conducting business in taverns had Miguel's wits suffered with each tankard of beer? How many times had he wished he had the concentration for another hour's clarity with the week's pricing sheets? A sobering drink was just the thing for a trading man. Who now drinks it? he asked eagerly. 
I hardly know, Gertrude admitted. I've heard there is a coffee tavern somewhere in the city, frequented by Turks, they say, but I've never seen it. I know of no Dutchmen who take coffee, unless it be prescribed by a physician, but the word will spread. Already, in England, taverns that serve coffee instead of wine and beer have opened, and men of trade flock to them to talk business. These coffee taverns become like exchanges unto themselves. It can't be too long before those taverns open here as well, for what city loves commerce so well as Amsterdam? Are you suggesting, Miguel asked, that you want to open a tavern? The taverns are nothing. We must put ourselves in a position to supply them. She took his hand. The demand is coming, and if we prepare ourselves for that demand, we can make a great deal of money. The coffee scent began to make him light-headed with something like desire. No, not desire. Greed. Gertrude had stumbled upon something, and Miguel felt her infectious eagerness swelling in his chest. Coffee was something marvellous, and if he could dare to hope that no one else in Amsterdam plotted to take advantage of this new drink, it could be the very thing to save him from ruin. He loved the money that came with success, but he loved the power more. He relished the respect he had commanded on the exchange and in the Floyenburg, the island neighbourhood where the Portuguese Jews lived. He loved hosting lavish dinners and never inquiring of the bill. He took pleasure in giving to the charitable boards. That was Miguel Lienzo, not this wretch at whose failings children and beefy housewives smirked. He could not much longer endure the anxious stares of other traders who hurried away from him lest his ill fortune spread like plague, or the pitying looks from his brother's pretty wife, whose moist eyes suggested she saw kinship between her misery and his. Miguel wanted to agree to anything Hertrad proposed, but he had lost too many times in recent months for acting on foolish hunches. It would be madness to forge ahead, particularly when he would be plunging with a partner whose very existence would make him vulnerable to the Ma'amad. How is it that this magic potion has not swept through Europe already? he asked. All things must begin somewhere. Must we wait until some other ambitious merchant learns its secret? Miguel pushed back from the counter and sat up straight. Tell me what you propose. Gertrude rubbed her long hands together. I have determined to do some sort of business with coffee, and I have some capital, but I have no idea how to proceed. You are a man of business, and I need your help and your partnership.